Welcome to The Breakdown with James Lankford, where Oklahoma Senator James Lankford discusses policy issues in Congress. Thank you for listening today. This is The Breakdown. This is Oklahoma Senator James Langford coming from Washington, D.C., and again, what we call the breakdown. This is a conversation on tough, complicated issues that we face in culture and on the Hill and trying to break down some of these complicated issues into hopefully simpler uh, formats. I have with me one of our uh, lead legislative uh, staffers with me that does a lot of research. Susan, glad you're with me here today. Yeah, glad to be here. It's a long way from Oklahoma State University to be able to graduate from there and then now working in D.C. And how long have you been in D.C.? Yes, I've been here about two and a half years. Um, it is a long way from Oklahoma, so it's always a, a joy to go back there and visit with some of the folks. But I'm a little bit closer to my parents now, so I think they're a bit happier. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll take that, and we're very grateful that you're here on this team. So we're going to talk about a tough, complicated issue, but I want to start it with a conversation that's very in-depth about Brussels sprouts. <laughs> uh, because I'm not, I'm not a fan of Brussels sprouts. I don't know how many people are, but my wife loves them. Uh, I call them baby cabbages. She says they're not baby cabbages. They're Brussels sprouts. You cut them in half and roast them with olive oil and balsamic, and the whole house smells like them. She loves them, but she loves me so much that she typically eats them when I'm not home, uh, when I'm in D.C., and then she's back in Oklahoma because I'm just not a fan. Now, I get it. Some people like Brussels sprouts. Some people do not. I'm not a big fan of them. She loves me anyway, despite my unrefined palate. But it's a preference thing for me on that. Well, it's interesting. We all have personal preferences. We all have opinions about different things. But I acknowledge Brussels sprouts are food. I get that they are food. I just don't have a preference for it. The topic we're going to talk about today gets lots of emotion and lots of preferences where people look at it and say, I prefer not one way or the other, or I prefer one way or the other. But the difficulty is having that conversation to the next level, and that's where we're going to try to go today. And this is this complicated issue about when does life begin and what is the role of government in engaging in life? Uh, now, it's pretty straightforward when you can physically see that person. And uh, we know that's a uh, child and we're looking at them. We know that's a teenager and we're looking at them. We know that's a senior adult and we're going to honor that life. It gets more complicated in our government and particularly in our culture when we have the conversation about is that a child? Is that a life? Do they have equal protection even if they're in the womb? Well, that, that issue is a big issue this week in particular because there's a lot of life events going on. If people are wondering about that, it's because it's the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Uh, January the 22nd, 1973, the Roe v. Wade decision came down from the Supreme Court. That didn't legalize abortion. Some people think it did. Abortion was already legal, but it was legal state to state. Some states said yes. Some states said no. And January 22nd of 1973, the court said every state has to allow abortion, and states can manage abortion in their state based on one simple definition they gave, viability. Right. Once a child is viable, then the state can step in and have all kinds of restrictions on abortion, uh, but every state has to allow abortion at some point. Well, some folks said that's going to end the debate when the Supreme Court ruled on it, but it it Definitely hasn't. has not. <laughs> no, there's been this ongoing dialogue as a culture still about when does life begin? What does that look like uh, for uh, for a life? What is viable? Uh, all those things have changed. So we're going to try to have a, a conversation, a dialogue about it today to try to figure some of these things out and to try to deal with this issue of preference. Uh, because some people just prefer that's not a child. Some people prefer that it is. And I've, I've always uh, kind of gone back to uh, a child at, uh, let's say, 23, 24, 25 weeks of gestation 
Uh, often the mom at that point is talking about the name of the baby, uh, the sex of the baby, uh, talking about when delivery date is, decorating the room when they're coming home, uh, people are planning baby showers at their office. Uh, all of those things are happening uh, for that mom who prefers that that life is a life. And for a different mom that prefers that life is not a life, no one discusses it, and that life just goes away. Right. It's a preference thing. It's kind of like Brussels sprouts to some people. If I prefer it's a food, it's a food. If I prefer it's not a food, it's not a food. But I'm not sure life is just that simple uh, to be able to find just based on the preference of an individual. And do I choose to accept that as a life or choose not to accept that as a life? So let's try to break this down in a couple ways. Uh, one is let's talk a little bit about the science uh, related to this. And then one is we're going to talk a little bit about uh, just other countries and what do they do and how they handle this because we're not the only country to be able to manage this. Right. And then try to figure out a little bit about uh, just, just what happens uh, on faith issues and other things because a lot of people say this is a faith issue alone. And I don't think it's really a faith issue. It's a cultural issue, uh, and it's much larger than just that. So start us in the science area. Yeah, I would just say, um, though in Roe v. Wade, uh, the Supreme Court you know, really based a lot of that decision off of viability, that didn't mean that the Supreme Court necessarily said, uh, this is proof that we know when life begins, when a life is viable. Because actually science has shown us that really a unique um, life is created, a unique human life is created upon fertilization. Um, we can see that that fertilized egg has its own proteins and enzymes, has its own DNA, um, and is is unique to the mom um, that's so carrying the child. different DNA than the mom. Different DNA than the mom, different DNA than the dad. Um, it's its own unique human being. And right. it's human DNA, human proteins, human enzymes. We know that that is a human. Okay, so is that your opinion? Tell me a little <clears throat> bit about this. What is the, the Carnegie uh, so, uh, life So, right, stages. there are um, the Carnegie stages of human embryonic development. And so that is um, taught in med schools across the country. And it starts off with stage one fertilization and that that's when life begins. So our um, medical students know that this is when human life begins. There is not... Um, you know, we're, we're not still trying to figure that out. Um, oftentimes you hear people say that, you know, it's it's based, like you said, off of a religious belief or it's above their pay grade. Um, but it's, it's not. We, we can know that, you know, the origin of our species, we know that um, human life begins upon fertilization. It's, it's you know, a, a life sciences question that we're able to understand. So you, when we have cell division, you have unique DNA. Uh, all of the characteristics for an adult is they're all bound up in those dividing cells mm -hmm. of an infant child. Uh, what I've jokingly said to a lot of people, which is really kind of serious, the only difference between that embryo and that fertilized egg with cell division and me right now is time. Right. Uh, that used to be me. Mm -hmm. I was that small. Uh, mm -hmm. But all of the things that were in me now, my red hair, my height, my pasty white skin, all <laughs> that was all built into those initial moments and have all developed from there. Right. Uh, so it is life. It's cell division. And we see it that way, mm -hmm. quite frankly, in culture. One, one of my new favorite quotes out there is, if we found on Mars what we see in the womb, we would all say on Mars, that's life. Right. We would. But if we see it on Earth in the womb, we're like, yeah, we're not sure if that's life or not. Right. It, and I mean, it is, um, you know, worthwhile to think through um, kind of to your point before of it's life, you know, when when it's a preference, you know, when people want want it to be. But we know scientifically that it is. Um, 
and you know you said it, it is just time it's it's size it's degree of development there there are different things but every human every adult human everyone listening to this podcast walking around you know in the world started out just as that fertilized egg we we know that that's true Right. And, and we recognize this in other species. I mean, we have Endangered Species Act that mm-hmm. specifically protect eggs, for instance, of bald eagles and of golden eagles. Uh, and we, we, there are stiff penalties, $100,000 mm-hmm. if you break a bald eagle or a golden eagle egg. It's a big penalty because we recognize that egg will be an eagle if you leave it alone. We have the same thing for turtles, uh, marine turtles. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come lay their eggs on the beach if you go disturb that nest. It's a $100,000 fine because everyone understands that's not just an egg. That's a future turtle right. uh, that's right there. And if you're going to protect the growth and the development of that species, you can't do that. Barn swallows are another big deal in Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, anyone who does construction can tell you there's, there's rules. If, a bar, if you're in construction for a bridge or a house or an office building and a barn swallow puts a nest there, you've got to stop all construction. Right. Because everyone understands barn swallow, that migratory bird, we've got to be able to protect them. And so everyone pauses. But it's so funny to me that people can acknowledge that with eagles, with turtles, with barn swallows, saying that is a future barn swallow, eagle or turtle. But no one seems to acknowledge that's that's a human uh, that's there and that they need someone to be able to speak on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you would think that the United States would be one of the safest places on Earth for people. But unfortunately, just for unborn children, that's not the case. Um, and we we don't hear a lot in media and other places, people really speaking up for um, unborn children um, who, if, you know, but but these children grow up to be adults who can speak for themselves. Right. So we, we know that they, you know, would be able to do that and now are able to do that. No, it, it's interesting even to think about Roe v. Wade and that decision. Many people don't know that the Roe of Roe v. Wade, her name was uh, Norma McCorvey, um, she had that child. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the court case was pending. Uh, they didn't get to the Supreme Court before she actually delivered. She delivered a girl in June of 1970. Um, and that child was given up for adoption, that, that child's 48 years old now. Mm-hmm. That child's grown up, and the whole debate is about that person, uh, whether that was a person or not. But that person, like I said, is a 48-year-old lady mm-hmm. now uh, and is a very different uh, type of experience dealing with that. You, you talked about other countries as well and how this, mm-hmm. how this happens in other countries and places. Just to give you an example, because sometimes we as Americans, we kind of put ourselves in a different spot, and quite frankly, we're a remarkable nation in where we are. But this is an area in abortion where we're really behind uh, the rest of the world. And it's been very interesting on this. There are 198 recognized countries mm-hmm. in the world. The vast majority of the countries in the world either don't allow abortion at all or abortion is allowed up to 12 weeks of gestation. That's three months. Right. Uh, you can have abortion the first three months, but you can't have an abortion after three months, 12 weeks of gestation. Mm-hmm. There are seven countries that allow allow abortion after 20 weeks right. uh, of gestation. But there's only four countries in the world that allow abortion after 24 weeks of gestation. Right. Those countries are China, North Korea, Vietnam, and the United States. Right. It's a great group for us to be yeah, in. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough crowd for us to hang around in. Yes. But th- th- there are some people who say, of course, everyone thinks like us. Actually, no one else in the world thinks like us in this, except for China, North Korea, and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. They're the only ones who agree with us on abortion policy. All of Europe has banned late-term abortion. All of Africa, all of Asia, except those countries I just listed, have all looked at it and said no, because that's a child. Right. 
And I mean, you see the other sort of human rights violations that a lot of these countries um, that you named, um, you know, are guilty of. And to to put the United States, who has, you know, championed um, human rights around the world in that same category, just kind of shows the the problem there. Um, it shows that we are we're in the wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're uh, again. When, when I say to a lot of folks, all of Europe disagrees with this on this. Uh, even for folks that are the most progressive of their mindset, have to pause for a moment and say, "Wait, every country in Europe has banned abortion after 24 weeks. Uh, we're still standing there saying no. We still allow this. I mean, that is a viable child. Mm-hmm. Uh, a child that is born at 24 weeks right now will go through care in the NICU. Right." But most of those children born at 24 weeks do survive and grow up to be great, healthy adults. And there are some of them walking around us right now. Uh, you know yeah, some of those. I You've actually, got a friend. I do. I have a friend um, that, uh, well, two of my friends um, had a daughter who actually just turned one a little over a week ago. Um, and Mia is her name, the baby. Uh, she was born um, at 28 weeks. Um, her mom was actually on bed rest for about 45 days trying to allow Mia to develop as, you know, as much as possible. Um, when she was born, um, the doctor said that her lungs had developed maybe about as much as a child who, who would have been born at 23 weeks. So very underdeveloped. Um, and the doctor said that in his, you know, more than 30 years of experience, he'd only seen one other child who had survived at that stage. Um, but Mia is, you know, is doing well, has some health complications, but um, like I said, just turned one. And, you know, we can we can look at her, we can look at many of the other examples of viability and see that Thankfully, science and healthcare have progressed so much, even since 1973 in the Roe v. Wade decision, um, to allow for children who are born early um, the, a better chance, a better shot at survival. Right. right. I have a friend of mine that uh, their daughter was born at 22 weeks mm-hmm. uh, and is a very healthy, very spunky three or four year old at this point. Yeah. And uh, it's it just a lot of energy uh, that <laughs> that can come from seeing that child and understanding what they've really come through. Th- this is an issue about late term abortion that right. Americans on the whole agree with. Now, there's lots of division and folks that are still listening to us right now have either listening to us because they agree with us or they're tuning us out because right. they're mad because they have a different preference about Brussels sprouts in this <laughs> way that they're looking away and saying, no, I don't want to think about this because uh, I prefer not to. But 75% of Americans in the most recent survey that was done, 75% of Americans do not believe that abortion should be legal in America after 12 weeks. Right. After that three month time period, that's where most of the rest of the world is. That's where most Americans are as well to say to get to late term abortion. Uh, if you're three months down the road and you've not made that decision, this child's really developing. They're really viable. Uh, th- th- that's a whole different thing. Uh, by that time, they have a nervous system. Uh, they have a functioning brain. Uh, you, we may argue about life. I believe life begins at conception. Other people believe life is at viability. Other people believe it's at birth. I think some other people believe it's when they're a teenager. But uh, everybody has this this opinion of, of when this person's really alive. Right. Uh, but most Americans, 75% in the most recent survey, say we, we really shouldn't do abortion after mm-hmm. 12 weeks. That is an area of common ground that I think we should look mm-hmm. at as a nation. Uh, to say where where are we common commonly on this? Mm-hmm. So that's one of them on late term abortion. Yeah, and that's something that actually the Senate considered last year. Um, what was called the pain capable bill. Unfortunately, and we didn't proceed um, with that bill. It, it did not um, get enough votes to you know continue in the consideration process. Um, and that bill was even later. It was at twenty weeks. It wasn't yeah, that was at twenty weeks, point. not even at twelve. And um, 
I mean, that's that just shows you that it's it's not even, you know, coming down to a debate of is this life or is it not? It's really coming down to sort of a convenience issue of it'd be inconvenient for um, for some people to, to, you know, stop an abortion at that time. So we are going to give that preference to um, the mom, the parents, as opposed to um, focusing on the child. Yeah. So late term abortion, I think, is, is a common area for, for most Americans. So they look at late term abortion and say, well, that's a viable child. We should stop that, mm-hmm. and, and except in the life of the mother and, mm-hmm. and some issues there. Another area is foreign aid. Uh, that Should we really have foreign aid, American tax dollars, going to promote or provide abortion internationally? Vast majority of Americans also oppose that and say, I, I don't think we should have American tax dollars providing abortions or promoting abortion overseas. Uh, that's beyond us. Another one is uh, whether American tax dollars should pay for abortions here in America. Right. Uh, that is something that has been in American law for a long time now called the Hyde Amendment mm-hmm. uh, that says American tax dollars cannot be used for a divorce. this is such a divisive issue uh, that compelling Americans in their tax dollars to pay for something that they find morally wrong, ethically wrong, um, and they hope at some point will be legally wrong, uh, that, that becomes a really big issue. And so Americans, on the whole, uh, agree that we shouldn't compel other Americans to pay for someone else's abortion. Right. Yeah. Since 1976, actually, we've been continually adding what's called, as you said, the Hyde Amendment um, to our annual appropriations. Um, But that has even, especially, I guess, this year has really become, like you said, a point of contention where people uh, want that to be more available, want to be able to use federal dollars um, for abortions. Um, And, you know, we've seen that um, in a lot of conversations. There's just it's a really divisive issue. Um, But it it makes sense to say because the country is so torn on this issue and because we can scientifically know that life, you know, begins at fertilization, that um, it does not make sense for the government to be spending tax dollars and investing in, um, you know, a, a process that terminates a life. We, right. if we're investing in healthcare, healthcare, you know, should be pr- about protecting life, not about taking it. Right. Um, and that's sort of, you know, the, the dilemma, I guess, with with that amendment. Susan, you and I both know that there are uh, some people will say, well, abortion's really a religious issue. The government should be out of this. Yes, you know, that, that, that's just a faith issue. I don't, I don't believe one way or the other. But ultimately, this is not a faith issue. This is a values issue as a culture. Period. Uh, for instance, um, you know, if we go back to the Ten Commandments, it says you shouldn't steal. Mm-hmm. And so I guess theft uh, and making burglary illegal mm-hmm. is really a religious issue in our mm-hmm. culture. It's, it's, it's not a religious issue, though. Theft is in Scripture, and a lot of people acknowledge that. And in many faiths, theft is seen as something that you shouldn't have. Right. But we also see it as law. Laws are made up of values within a culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a value issue for us. If I go to China, uh, China, the top value is the government, is the state. And so they have a compelled abortion law uh, that if you get pregnant and you have more than one child, except a few exceptions now, Mm -hmm. they allow two. Mm -hmm. Uh, But after that, they do forced abortions and they require you to be able to take that life of that other child because the higher good is the government. We don't believe that here in America. Our shared value is each person, each individual is valuable. And that's why all of our documents begin with things like we the people, because it's the individuals that we find so incredibly mm-hmm. valuable rather than the state as a whole. So as a culture, we have a decision to make. Is the each individual valuable? If each individual is valuable, then when do they start becoming valuable? When they're born, when they're in school, when they're old? Uh, when they're still in the womb, when's the point that the individual has value? Yeah, and we really see that, I think, a lot 
that play out a lot in our culture with kind of like I said before, with just a convenience um, aspect of it's economically more convenient for me to, you know, wait to have children. It's um, this this uh, unborn child isn't enough of a person yet for them to be considered. Um, And you start to just, you know, walk this line that, um, you know, we've we've seen play out in other, you know, aspects of human history. And it's been really unfortunate um, where we're just not looking at something as um, as fully human, right. as looking at a person as fully human. Um, but again, we we just know that it is human. Yeah. Not all of our history in American history we're proud of. We're proud of what we can become and right. the opportunities that we have as a nation. But when we look at back at our history, at one time, we as a nation considered um, black individuals as three-fifths mm-hmm. of a man. Right. Uh, we at one point said women can't vote. Uh, they, they're not smart enough to be able to vote. We at mm-hmm. one point interned Japanese Americans in camps uh, because they couldn't be trusted uh, to be able to be on the, in the public. There are moments in our history that we look back at and are grieved. And I tell you honestly, I look forward to the day uh, that we stop and pause as a culture and go, wait a minute, time out for just a second. I know what we're doing, but let's for a moment pause and look inside the womb at when we can see a 3D ultrasound, when we can hear the sonogram heartbeat, uh, when we get a chance to be able to know exactly what's happening there in the development of a human being and ask the hard question that no one really wants to ask. Not, not is that a life and do I prefer if that's a life or not? But is that a life that should be protected? Do we value the life of each individual? Are some individuals expendable and some individuals are not? To me, that's not a religious issue. Uh, That's a cultural value issue. And that's a science issue. Right. And when the science is so clear on this, it's an area that we should do. I want to make just one quick comment before we wrap up. Mm -hmm. And that is I I have tremendous compassion for people that have been through an abortion. I have to say that I, I don't, I'm not on the side, and I hear some people say it's some flippant decision. I, I, I haven't met anyone that had an abortion that that was a flippant decision for right. them. Uh, it's an incredibly painful, difficult decision. Uh, it's one of those things that men and women alike would struggle with and try to figure out what to do for years to come. Not only the surgical procedure itself, which is horrific as a procedure, but the actual recovery from that. And mm-hmm. the emotion that it causes. Mm-hmm. I mean, 10 years later, a mom that's had an abortion is still going to sit at the mall one day and is going to sit there at the food court and watch a small child playing nearby and still be thinking about that's the age my child would be. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it, it, it doesn't go away. And so I, I really do grieve for those folks that go through this incredibly difficult decision and the value that our culture has put up to say that life is expendable. When you're that mom, you know in your gut that's really not just an expendable life. That's not just random tissue. Mm-hmm. That's a child that's developing there. Right. And and it's important even in this conversation and in all conversations like this to, you know, really emphasize that it's we want to be supportive of women um, who are facing um, the decision of whether to have their child, give their child up for adoption or um, have an abortion. And um, we can and should do both of those things. It, it's not limited to say that we can only support um you know, unborn children. We also want to be supportive of of moms and then of, of p- moms and dads, of parents who have experienced um, this, you know, at the time when they're making that decision. And then, like you said, um, into the future, because it is something that's going to, you know, come back. People, I haven't met someone who's had an abortion who has just said, you know, I've, I've forgotten about it. Um, it's something that will continue to 
um, that they'll continue to reflect on. Yeah, there, there's no conversation coming from us about criminalizing moms or there, there's none of that. And I hear all that diatribe from the other side. Right. And I said, that, that, that's not the conversation. There is real compassion and struggle mm-hmm. in this. And we acknowledge that. But we also acknowledge we have to start with the beginning point. There is a child. And I, and I, I say in this conversation on the breakdown, this issue shouldn't be a partisan issue. This is not a Republican-Democrat issue. This is a values issue. To be able to say, who are we as a culture and as a value? Do we really value children? Mm-hmm. Do we really value the power of the individual? Do we really believe that child, let's say born in poverty, really could grow up to be an inventor, a scientist, a musician, uh, a manufacturing, whatever? That, that, that person has a hope and a future. Do right. we really believe that? Uh, and for some people, I've heard them say, no, they're born in a poor family. They have no hope. They have no future. And so an abortion is better for them right. and better for culture. And I just don't believe that. Uh, I see each individual as having value and life and worth. And uh, and we should be able to respect that worth and that value. And I think that's something we can struggle with together. So my encouragement in this breakdown is let's look at where we can agree. Let's look at spots like late-term abortion, uh, foreign funding for abortion, taxpayer uh, funding for abortion. Uh, may, maybe not everybody's in the same spot I'm in and that you're in, Susan, right. to say that life begins at conception. But let's talk about the spots where we do agree, and let's start standing up for those things. Let's try to catch up with the rest of the world uh, in this issue and not just pretend uh, that everyone thinks like us when most of the world does not think like us. They've already struggled with this. and and moved on and said, and no, that's, that's a life. Most of the United States doesn't, I think, yeah, like our, our laws. States. Yeah, so it, 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 it's a big issue. So this is one that we can't just ignore. This is one that we've got to address long term. And I look forward to having an ongoing conversation. As I bump into you uh, around town in Oklahoma and places when I get to, uh, the privilege to be back from Washington, D.C., I look forward to continuing this conversation. Glad to have it at any point. Uh, and I hope you get a chance to be able to bump into some people and not just isolate them and say there are some of those. There's some of those people. There's some of those people. Uh, but see this for what it really is, a real cultural conversation and struggle that we still have almost 50 years later now uh, as a culture that we're still talking about when is a life a life? And what does that mean for us as a culture to be able to stand for life? Uh, so uh, continue the dialogue. Contact us at any point. You can go to on our website, langford.senate.gov. You can go to any of the social media platforms uh, at Senate or Langford and uh, be able to uh, send messages to us that way or, of course, contact our offices in Oklahoma or in Washington, D.C. Uh, talk with myself or our team or our staff. And uh, let's keep that ongoing dialogue uh, going on as a culture, and let's see if we can get get this solved in the days ahead. With that, thanks for joining us. And the breakdown, Susan, thanks for being on this Yeah, thanks for having today. me. You bet. Enjoyed it. Thanks, y'all.